Let's turn together in God's Word to Genesis chapter 44 this morning. Genesis chapter 44. For those of you who are visiting with us, we're working through Genesis, and we've been looking at the life of Joseph for some time now, and I want to just remind us all where we were last week. From last week, the brothers had been found in possession of Joseph's special cup. We remember that same uh, thing happening some years before where they had been in possession of Joseph's special robe. And here they are again in a similar situation. They made up a story in order to get rid of their brother through this bloodying of this special robe. And the sin had been uh, covered up and unconfessed. Here we have another test before us. Joseph declared through his servant that only the one who had that cup in his possession, namely the the son Benjamin, was going to be taken back to Egypt and enslaved to be his servant forever. And the test is this. Would they give up another brother? Would they give up Benjamin this time, another of the favored sons, or would they act differently? Joseph is trying to determine what the brothers would do. They do not yet recognize him. And their response shows that there is change taking place in them. They're grief-stricken that Benjamin has been found with the special cup. And they prepared to return to Egypt and to be Joseph's servants. Verses 16 and 17 of chapter 44, they, Judah is speaking there for the brothers. What can we say to my Lord? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of us, of, our, of your servants. Behold, we'll become your servants. But Joseph said, no, far be it that I should do so, only the man in, whom, in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. And then we turn our attention to the reading of God's Word, picking up in verse 18, Genesis 44. Then Judah went up to Joseph and said, O oh, my Lord, please, let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself." My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, or if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. (coughs) Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then, as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, 
with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please, let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. So far, the reading of God's own holy word may add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. Dear people of God, can we be forgiven? Now, we hear the question, we say, well, of course, we know the gospel, we've heard the story, it's, it's just a, it's a pretty smooth transaction. But if you've been paying attention at all to the story of the saints through the book of Genesis and origins and what has happened to man and the depth of his fallenness, you would pause and say, this is a magnificent grace that God shows, for our sin is great. It's being shown to us. It's for all to see. We often say this, or we often hear this, if the Bible was written by man, we certainly would cover up all of this scandal and all of these sins and make man look much better. It's proof that's written by God because all of man's uh, sins are set before us in in all of their, their awful description. If we don't recognize the greatness of our sin, we don't recognize... What was needed for our forgiveness, if we don't recognize how greatly we've offended God, then we will not appreciate all of the details here in the story of the family of Jacob. We might say, oh, how unnecessary, how uncomfortable. Why do we have to hear all of this? The history of the sons of Jacob is not pretty. Reuben sinned against his father with his father's concubine, lost all his rights to inheritance. Back in chapter 35, Simeon and Levi acted violently to the people in the land, and they brought shame upon Jacob, or they brought uh, uh, trouble to him, and he denounced them for their, for their violence. Brothers sold Joseph, their brother, off to be rid of this favored son, Judah went off and married a Canaanite woman, and a sordid affair followed. This family was broken, and this family's brokenness is before us. But God continued to work in the sons in keeping his promise to make a great people out of the descendants of Abraham, the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Reuben's sin, we're recognizing it was an attempt to take over the family. He saw how his father Jacob had favored Joseph and to a degree Benjamin early on, and he said, I've had it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my, my father's concubine and, and make offspring for myself and, and grab hold of control of this family and of my future. He acted selfishly, but he he was being changed. Later when the brothers talked of killing Joseph, whom he despised along with him, he showed compassion for him and he saved him from death. It says it this way, that he rescued Joseph back in chapter uh, 42, that it was Reuben who rescued him. Or excuse me, back in chapter 37, where he said he was 
to not harm, to not harm the boy. He said, shed no blood, throw him in a pit, do not lay a hand on him. He did this so that he might rescue him out of their hand. Reuben began to see that his life was attached to this family and to all the brothers, and not a one of them should be removed, including Joseph. He later spoke sternly to the brothers in chapter 42 when they're standing before Joseph and they do not recognize him as Joseph. They're contemplating what's going on when he claims that he must hold on to one of the, of the, the, the brothers as a security. And they say, surely this is happening to us because of what we did to our brother Joseph. And Reuben says, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. There's this, there's this underlying sense of guilt and there's this awakening to that guilt in the brothers. Well, they return home. They tell their father what's happened. And they say that if they'd hoped to go back to Egypt, then Benjamin would have to come with them. Otherwise, they would not see Joseph. They would not receive food. Well, Jacob rejects the idea. Reuben offers his sons. He says, I'll, you can kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back. But jo- Jacob does not accept that as payment. He says, that's not, that's not sufficient. That's not the payment I'm looking for. That's not a payment I'm looking for. All the while, Judah is also a part of this story. Coming back to Judah then for a moment. Remember, he suggested Joseph was to be sold in chapter 37. He saw no future for the brothers unless Joseph was removed. He saw that favoritism toward Joseph and Benjamin, and he thought, well, if, if he's not removed, then the, the, the brothers are not going to brothers are not going to receive anything. After he and Joseph sold to his brothers, they returned to their father. Jacob's grieved beyond measure. Judah sees that nothing has changed. He says, my father's acting the same way. Now he's showing favoritism to Benjamin. I need to start out on my own. So he takes hold of a Canaanite wife and starts a new life with her. It's a dark episode in his life. Genesis 38. And he recognizes his sin, apparently. He is rebuked and he is apparently restored to the family for he's with the brothers when they go down to Egypt. And when they return, again, to come back to the account with Reuben, Judah's hearing his father's rejection of Reuben's proposal for safe passage of Benjamin. Reuben says, I'll give my two sons. And Jacob says, no. Well, the famine continues and they... They look around and they say, well, we've got to go back, and, but he won't let us take Benjamin. So Judah comes to his father and says, we have to, we, we can't go back without Benjamin. And he says, I will give myself as security. If Reuben's proposal is not accepted, then I'll offer myself. I'll bear the blame if Benjamin's not brought back. He sees his future wrapped up in this family, and he has come back and connected with the family. It's a story of sin. It's a story of awakening to sin, of repentance and returning and walking by faith in the family of God. It's your story and mine as well. This awakening, this repentance, this walking with the family of God. And so we see here the need for forgiveness as we come into now chapter 44. Things had gone well. The brothers had received Simeon back 
They had received their money back. They had received grain to go home with. And then they were found with a special cup. And they're compelled to return to Egypt and to find out what this all means. Suddenly their feeling of of peace and tranquility is shattered by, by this guilt that they still feel. Now Judah, who has recognized that he belongs to this family, becomes the spokesperson. He offers himself and all the brothers to be servants to Joseph. He says, we're guilty. It's our guilt. As we saw last week, he was referring to the guilt that they felt by selling their brother into slavery. Judah pleads for a hearing with Joseph. Well, this reflects upon a scene from the past. Who's pleading for a hearing before? It was Joseph, wasn't it? Many years before. He's in the pit and he's pleading with his brothers, please, don't put me in this pit. Please, don't don't kill me. And the brothers won't listen. Now, things are turned around and Judah's pleading, announced to him, he's pleading with Joseph for a hearing. He says, please, please listen to my proposal. What would be your response if your former tormentor came to you and said, I know how I treated you, but I want you to listen to me. How would you respond? We can well imagine Joseph in that pit hearing Judah say, let's just get rid of him. Let's just sell him. And now here is Judah sitting before, standing before, bowing before Joseph and saying, please, please listen to my proposal. The shoe's on the other foot. Joseph had been so afraid. You can imagine the emotion that must have been in him as he was pleading for his life. And now Judah, before Joseph with his brothers, is pleading. He's fearful. He's hoping that this ruler of Egypt will hear his cries. And Joseph is in a position to determine their future as they plead for a hearing. And we see his heart of compassion in just allowing Judah to speak. And giving him opportunity to speak. This has a parallel for us in that we sin against our God and against his grace and his mercy. And he says, come to me. He's willing to listen. He's compassionate. He's willing to forgive if we come in confession. When we request a hearing, we must humble ourselves before him as the brothers humble themselves before Joseph, letting go of all pride and all self-righteousness, all pretension. The Lord does not owe us a hearing, but he invites us to come because he has opened a pathway for us. Judah is given permission to speak and he rehearses the past. He goes through all that has happened, but his version sounds more like, well, it's your fault, Joseph. It's your fault. We followed your instructions, and here we are standing in front of you. We followed our father's instructions, and we're we're here again, and now we're in this, this predicament, this situation. It's your fault. We didn't do it. We're innocent. 
There's still this pleading of this, this, this pleading of self-righteousness, still refusing to acknowledge their guilt for what had happened to Joseph. Their father, Jacob, didn't know what the brothers had done. He yearned after his son, whom he thought was dead, and now the brothers are treating him as though he was dead. Now he's dead, they say, and in verse 20, that was their, that was their hope all along, that he, would be dis, that he would be taken out of their lives. When their fathers, again, gave the conclusion that my son has been torn to pieces, they did not, they did not disagree with him. They allowed him to come to that conclusion that Joseph was dead. Jacob didn't know what the brothers had done, but God knew. God knew what the brothers had done, and he worked for reconciliation with them, though they walked in death. The heart of God is seen in this heart of Jacob for his lost son. God in heaven longs for reunion with those whom he has made. He says, I've made a way. I've, I've opened a way. Come, confess your sin and be forgiven and know the way to everlasting life. There is a way to be forgiven. I have provided that in my son. All of humanity is conceived and born in sin. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat our story. As I said at the outset, the book of Genesis, the book of origins and beginnings lays out the, the history of mankind and, and how there were two branches and the two lines. There's only two ways. There's either one with God or there's one away from God. There's one with God and that is in a, a path of penitence and a path of, of humility and of, of worship of God. And then there's the other path that says, I don't need God. I don't need him to establish my own future. But the Bible says we're dead in sin, cut off from life, that our short time on earth is not what we live uh, in hopes of, but rather we look as a beginning for eternity. God can make alive. When we look at our past, we see that we are all in bondage to sin through Adam. But God shows a heart that desires for us to live, to be reconciled to us. Well, it appears that the brothers are starting to understand the love of their father for his sons. We think of Joseph and Benjamin. He's, he's drawn, he's tied to them, and Judah recognizes that in his, his, his wording here and the way he speaks. They begin to see this, and they too become knit to Benjamin. They say, we can't leave Benjamin. We can't just say, well, he's the one with the cup. Let him go back to Egypt. We're going to move on and start, a, start anew. Would that have been difficult? Certainly it would have. Their, their father would have said, now you've lost my other favored son, but they would, have, they would just have to get through it if they were seeking themselves first. But their hearts are knit to Benjamin and they return to Egypt. Joseph, they believed, was lost to them, but they clung to Benjamin. God's heart is on display here. We see his love for the world in the passion of this scene. He would give his own son to rescue sinners. And he has given his own son to rescue sinners. 
to rescue us. There's a change happening. The attitude in the brothers seen in summary in Reuben and Judah's earlier actions was, well, how can I get this family to, to, to move in the direction that I want it to go so that I might be able to, to get something out of this? What is this family for? It's for me. And now they're saying, how could I not give myself for my brother? Judah had used these similar words He had used these words earlier back in chapter 37 when they were talking about killing Joseph. He said, no, no, let's not kill him. Let's sell him. He is, after all, our brother. He recognizes the close connection, but it doesn't move him. It doesn't move him to compassion. He simply says, he's our brother, so let's just get rid of him another way. Let's not kill him. But he's not moved to save him. Well, think about that, brothers and sisters. When we are surrounded by image bearers of God, they may not be brothers and sisters in the Lord at the moment, but we ought to be pleading for them. We ought to care enough to speak the truth to them about the God who would seek them and that He has provided salvation for them if they would but repent and believe. The brothers needed to see the heart of God. They needed to see that God was ready to forgive their sin. The sin that they had not confessed needed to be revealed and God would reconcile them to him and to their brother Joseph. This was more than they could have imagined. The writer finally brings us to the request which we've been anticipating, which we've been seeing throughout as we've been walking through the passage. He finally brings us to the request that Judah makes. It starts out in the beginning. Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. Let me, let me offer a solution. Then he finally says in verse 33, Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. Let me be the substitute. In this proposal of Judah, we have a picture of Christ pleading on behalf of sinners. Offering himself a substitute. All alike are under sin. Each person must pay for their sin unless unless there would be a substitute offered that they might go and find peace with their father. What the gospel reveals is that God has provided a substitute to deliver us from our sins and from the death that we deserve. He's graciously provided a way for his just demands against sin to be met, and that is in his own son. There's no other way for sin to be atoned for, no other way for guilt to be removed. When we request a hearing with God and when we look honestly at our past and the depth of our sins, our only hope is that God would provide a way of deliverance for nothing that we provide is sufficient for sin. Nothing is sufficient to meet his holy standard. What should amaze us again and again 
is that substitute that he provides for us. That way of salvation that he gives, extending covenant to us and our children. We see that again this morning in infant baptism. God has declared that his covenant is with us and with our children. And as your children grow older and are able to understand, they're to be taught of this need for cleansing. As you speak to them of your own need for cleansing and of that way of provision that God has given in the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to be taught that through God's substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ, there is salvation for those who believe in him. God has not withheld his own beloved son, but offered him up for us all that we might become sons and daughters of him, that we might have peace with him. We're, we are those who are part of a fallen family. We're dead in sin ourselves, but God has made a way for us to become a part of his heavenly family. In Christ, we can have all our sins washed away. As Judah is pleading with Joseph, we wonder what the response is going to be. What will this ruler, this one in power, say to him? And we'll have to wait till next week to find out. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come into a season of advent, of anticipation, of waiting, we wait for that answer that Joseph will give to his brothers, but we are so thankful that we do not have to wait for the answer that you have given to us as we cry out to you for forgiveness, for reconciliation. You have declared, it is in my son. He has come. He has lived perfect life, died that atoning death, and been raised with all power, showing victory over death, ready to ascend it and ready to return again to give life to all those who wait for, who long for his appearing as we wait for his second coming. Help us, Lord, to be those who are humble in our walk before you, who are repenting of our sins daily, rejoicing daily, in your love that we would worship you day after day and that it would bring peace and joy to our hearts such as nothing else can bring. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.